My name is Anara, and I am exploring the topic of cultural identity within international adoption by having conversations with people who, on some scale, have experience with or connection to this topic. On this episode, we are having a conversation with Sonia Gibbs, who was adopted from South Korea at a very young age, and she herself is an adoptive parent. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Can you introduce yourself and kind of a little bit about you? Um, yeah, your life. Yeah. I'm Sonia Gibbs, and um, I'm a pastor here in Portland, and I'm an adoptee, which is why I'm here. And <laughs> I, um, yeah, yeah, I'm from adopted from Korea, and so, um, yeah. And I have adopted, so I'm sure we'll talk about that, too. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So you did mention that you were adopted. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me a little bit about your adoption story? Yeah, yeah. So I was um, abandoned as a baby on the street in Korea. Um, I thought it was in Seoul, Korea for the longest time, and then I recently dug up a bunch of my records. Um, I've been doing more of a deep dive in the past couple years, and so um, discovered that it was in Wanju City, actually. And so um, um, I have the address and the name of the person who's home I was left in front of and um yeah so left and then um I and there was another baby girl abandoned around the same time and then we were both transported to Seoul and then um I was brought to Holt Adoption Agency and then um adopted at five months I was in a foster so then put into a foster family um as far as I understand the same foster family for five months and then adopted to the United States and then, um, yeah, so adopted as an infant um, to a suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota. So how, uh, do you have any memories from your birth country? Zero, yeah, no memories at all. And I, I often think, and I'm sure other adoptees that are adopted when they're really young, you're like somewhere in my brain, right? My eyes were seeing something. My ears were hearing something like it's located there somewhere, but I have zero access to it. So yeah, Yeah. no memories. Yeah. And, um, how old were you when you got adopted? Five months old. Oh, okay. So very young. Yeah. Okay. Just a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And then can you talk a little bit about that process too, even though you were quite young? As far as? Like your adoptive family. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I was the first of, so um, my parents um, have, they've adopted two, including myself, two from Korea, so I have a younger brother who came two and a half years later, and I remember, that's one of my first memories, is waiting at the airport for my little brother to come, so um, yeah, not biologically related, but both from South Korea, Mm -hmm. and so yeah, just grew up, so I grew up um, in um, Coon Rapids, Minnesota, so it's just a northern suburb of Minneapolis, um, very very white um, mm-hmm. community, uh, blue blue collar. Um, at the time, um, the city where I grew up was like the edge of the suburbs meets rural, the kind of going into the rural parts of um, that area. So, um, yeah, just grew up. My dad is actually a first generation Finnish. And so I grew up eating more Scandinavian, like lefsa, and like, <laughs> and I would even, I even knew Finnish terms, okay. you know, like I learned how to count in Finnish or say hello and have like small conversations in Finnish before I ever knew anything about Korea. Wow. And, um, 
In fact, I remember when I was in second grade, I had a substitute teacher and I told my dad her name and he was like, oh, she must be Finnish. You should go back tomorrow and ask her, you know? So anyway, I went back and I was like, are you Finnish? And she's like, I am. And I'm like, I am too. <laughs> so that tells you a little bit and I can say more about that <laughs> identity <laughs> stuff, but that just tells you like what, it, yeah, yeah, how I grew up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you talked about kind of like identifying more to your dad's culture, mm-hmm. but was there, how was your judgment to coming from um, Korea and then coming to kind of almost rural Minnesota? Like, was there an adjustment period or was that kind of like a over the years? Yeah. I mean, because I was so little, you know, there wasn't, I, I it, what it, I would say is I have no memory or experience outside of, you know, growing up in the United States, right? And in that location, right? In Minnesota. So I feel very much, and I, I didn't really, although now I can look back and I say, oh, there are definitely experiences where the world, like external, like school or kids, right? were clearly treating me different, right? Or noticing my differences. I really was internalizing the culture that I was growing up in, you know? So I was just a, you know, when I would ask my parents even, like, if you had your own biological children, would they look like me? You know, whatever. and they'd be like, no, but, you know, don't even worry, don't worry about it because, you know, you're American, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that would mean, right? And so um, I didn't, I am a, I am, I feel like a very late bloomer in that I didn't wrestle. I had moments of like, oh, wait, I'm, you know, I'm externally Korean, but internally not. And so there, um, um, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of when I get around, I would go, I remember the first time I went to California and I saw like a group of Asians and it was like, I, first of all, I couldn't identify different Asian community. You know, I'd be like, just group it all Asian. Right. (laughs) But then also this like scaredness inside me of being like, they're going to discover I'm a fraud, right. They're going to know that even though I look like this externally, internally, I feel very much dialed into white, you know, Midwestern mm-hmm. America. Yeah. So, yeah. And can you talk a little bit, kind of like, as you've gotten older, mm-hmm. has that improved for you, or is this still kind of a journey? It's definitely still a journey. And um, it accelerated probably in the last five years. Prior to that, there'd be moments like when I gave birth to my first kid. And I remember thinking, you know, like, well, it would help. Okay, well, I'll back up one one more step. Whenever I would have to fill out a, a hospital records form, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, condition hereditary conditions, yeah. right? And it's like, oh, I can't. I have no idea, yes. you know. And there was always this thought in my head, like, what if, yeah, like if heart disease is in my, you know, whatever, diabetes, yeah. anyway, all those things you just kind of run through. Like, what if, you know, I'm all my relatives, now. yeah, what if they all die when they're fifty, and I just don't know, you know, or whatever. Um, yeah, and I remember, so then I remember when I gave birth um, to my first kid, to my daughter, and, you know, she she being the very first blood relative that I've known, right? And I think there was something pretty profound about that moment, and, um, but even then, um, I don't... Um, you know, cause I have a, I have a Western European <laughs> been in the United States for a long time partner. And so, you know, our household was very much like we were just 
you know, we weren't blending cultures because I was not culturally in connection with my mm-hmm. Korean identity by any means. Like maybe I'd have Korean food twice a year or, you know what I mean? Something like that would be maybe the greatest venture. Uh, when I was really little, my parents, um, I remember I had a cassette tape. Okay. So I was born in the seventies. Okay. So <laughs> I had a cassette tape of like familiar Korean phrases and I would go around listening to it and I would say, you know, mm-hmm. small phrases. But anyway, I did not have deep, um, and I kind of similar to what we were talking about before. I also didn't really have a longing or any, you know, it would come and go, and it was really, really small, like I said, like, you know, filling out a medical form, and then having my daughter. Um, before that, just another kind of story of how internalized um, my identity was from my adoptive family in space. I was at a um, gospel music awards event, a black gospel music awards event, not awards, showcase. And so I'm singing background vocals for a friend of mine who's showcasing his music, and um, my partner's sitting next to me, and he's also doing some music stuff with him. So, white guy, Korean woman, and then everyone else in the space, they were all African-American, black, identified, like, as far as I could tell, right, visually. So there's like 8,000 people in the room, and I lean over to my partner, and I go, why are the only white people in here? <laughs> like, that's what I said to him, and he's like, no, I'm the only white person in the room, and I'm like, ha, 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 but like, moved on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even in that moment where it's, I have this opportunity to be confronted with this other identity um I really didn't dive in until about 2018 okay yeah and uh if you're comfortable talking about that like what what caused that shift in 2018 yeah two really big things one was that um um I had a friend neighbor congregant black man um who was shot and killed at Portland State University and so there was this moment um, where I was getting ready to speak at a rally, a public rally, and I remember thinking, I, I think like my location came into view, right? Like in the public space, I am a Korean American adoptee, female clergy, right? Who's about to speak about a black man getting shot by white cops mm-hmm. in our city. Like, right? Like, all of a sudden, those, all of the, that intersectionality in those locations came into focus, and I just thought, what do I have to say? Like, what? And so I think I've, there was a hyper-awareness in that moment that, and then as those conversations, and it wasn't just that moment, but, you know, as I began engaging around those justice issues, I had to recognize my location and who I was mm-hmm. in public space, even though maybe internally I may feel or experience something different. And then the other thing was um, um, being um, a certified foster home. And so, um, and then eventually through that process, um, fostering and adopting my son who is biracial but black presenting. And having this, those moments of realizing that I was parenting him in a different way than I was parenting my Asian presenting son, right? And I'm like, okay, like again, there's this awareness, okay, that that how our racial identities, whether or not I am aware or not, are presenting in the world and people will respond to me in a particular way just like they will respond to my sons differently. And um, it made me angry, um, but it also was like there's an aware, there, it was an aware, it was, that was the beginning of the awareness. And then um, I couldn't 
I can't, I couldn't ignore either of those two things I had to start diving into, um, for them and for myself. Yeah. And as you've kind of dived deeper into that, have you noticed within your own family Mm -hmm. and kind of how you interact with society, has there been that shift? Yeah, yeah, there was, um, actually then in, in 2019, I was at this conference and, a, and, um, um, there was an individual who was kind of sharing, um, a black man, a pastor, um, now a friend, and he was sharing about, um, he used this phrase, breaking up with whiteness. And I think that's what was starting to happen for me. Like there became this, um, I became very aware that my life did not start at five months in the United States, that there was a whole, there, even though it was short, mm-hmm. that there was significant thing, there were significant things that happened before that yeah. and that I had not investigated any of that. And so there was almost like a, um, I wouldn't say a false identity. I don't have regrets. I'm not angry about it, but it's almost like a pseudo identity. There was a whole part that I was ignoring. Mm-hmm. And so out of that, um, I began, yeah, whether it was food, language, uh, history, it was just like, I've got to make, I don't know, I, probably there was a sense of urgency at some point where I was like, i got to dive in and like get all this, you know, it feels like information. But it was, but honestly, I feel like the really deep and important work was like embodiment of my identity. And even with, I was going through this thing, like, how do I even pronounce my name? Like, I don't, you know, my name, um, Sonia is actually... Son was part of my Korean name, and then my adoptive parents added an IA, and they just mm-hmm. sort of made it up. And they're so not creative people at all. So it was like their the creative moment was my name, and I used to hate it because it was unique and different. Everyone was always pronouncing it wrong, and and it, I felt like it made me stand out. And I already stood out, and I just wanted to fit in and all those things. But um, I was kind of going through this like, how should I pronounce it? And having anyway, um, and mispronounce anyway. Uh, ended up. Yeah, I don't know. I'll just all of the. It seems silly, but it's like in. I feel like literally every arena and area of my life has been. I think one of the costs of really diving in is that it does disrupt every relationship, everything that has been built on. What I would say, built on dominant culture or built on right on mm-hmm. Americanism, built on whiteness. Everything that was that that was the foundation is disrupted as I dive deeper into my identity as a Korean American adoptee, mm-hmm. you know? So I wouldn't say I'm not just Korean. I'm not American, but yeah. Anyway, and even using that language is really purposeful to me now. I might've before said, Oh yeah, I've been adopted or, you know, I'm from Korea, but you know, I feel like at this moment in time, I mean, asking a year from now might change, but in this very moment, <laughs> I very much identify as a Korean American adoptee. And I feel like my name even kind of captures both of those things. Mm-hmm. It is Korean, it is American, and that is, you know. Yeah, the many facets. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of happen. Yeah. Um, so you talked about wanting to learn as much and things. Mm-hmm. Have you have you gone back to your birth country at all? I have not yet. Okay. So I was actually planning to this fall, and it didn't work out, so I'm um, making plans to go in the spring, actually, yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And do you kind of want to just experience the culture and immerse yourself or is there is it part of the drive to yeah yeah I, I'm very aware that I feel I feel very aware that I will not belong there I don't have this sort of like oh I'm just gonna 
land in Korea and be like home or like any sort of, I don't, I, at least I do not imagine anything like that happening. I, I feel like it actually may highlight and, you know, make the distance very prominent. And at the same time, I do wonder what my body will feel like in the land that I was born in, mm -hmm. right? With the people that are my, um, they are my people in some, you know, in some way, even though very distanced, I feel very distanced culturally. I did like, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. language, all the things I feel very, very distanced from it. Um, but I will eat my way. So when you were growing up in mm -hmm. Minnesota, you talked about how there was a lot, um, a lot of people around you were white, but mm -hmm. were you at all part of like a community of adoptees or of Korean Americans or? Of yeah, both? yeah, no, and I was, and actually, I was realizing the other day that, and I've known that Minnesota ha is a home to many Korean, particularly Korean adoptees. Oh, okay. There are many, many. It's one it, that state has a high population of Korean adoptees, oh, I didn't and know that. yeah, um, and. And even with that, I just never, um, I don't know why my parents just never, I probably wasn't expressing an interest and then my parents just didn't, were, that, that definitely in the 70s and 80s was not in the mm -hmm. forefront of their minds. I think they were actually encouraged to be more, like more about assimilation, less about drawing out the distinctive or the uniqueness of being an adoptee. And so I didn't attend, I know that there were camps and different things like that and, and we had, I always looked forward to getting the whole newsletter that had pictures of babies, children waiting to be adopted or articles about adoptees. And um, so I was a, that adoptee piece was a, there was some awareness of that and whatever in my home, but I wasn't around it much. There was, I did have one friend um, who I grew up with at church who was a Korean American adoptee, same age ish, about the same age. Um, and her home life was a little more, was a little more challenging. And so as we got older, um, we definitely disconnected. Um, and we've reconnected as I've been more, I think she, I think because of the disruption and the dysfunction in her adoptive family, it caused her to look to Korea mm -hmm. earlier and more fervently than I have. And so um, as I've re-engaged, we've actually engaged more again, you know, 20 years later or something. And has that helped you to be able to reconnect to somebody on a personal level? Um, re-engaging? Yeah. Yeah, with, yes. And with, like, your friend that you grew up with, like, re-engaging with her and also yeah. how that connects to your own journey. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think because I did, I did see how critical, and, and I think that she would, I can't speak for her, but as she was struggling with her identity and adoption in Korea, being a part of that, I remember being very, I felt, I didn't feel connected to that because that wasn't my, where I was, but yeah, definitely as I've been engaging more and because she's further along in that process and she even lived in Korea for a period of time, you know, it's like I could ask her questions and, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've reached out, you know, to a few, um, I met and hung out with a few adoptees. Korean adoptees here in Portland a couple times and, you know, marched with Korean adoptees in the 2020 protests. And, um, yeah, I'm not, 
it's interesting. I, yeah, I definitely learn a lot every time I'm around other Korean adoptees or adoptees in general, um, seeing sort of common traits and that sort of thing. But, um, it's also admittedly a little uncomfortable because it's just not what I grew up with. Put me around a bunch of Swedish, Finnish, Norwegian people. I'm like, okay, I get you. <laughs> yeah. I go, like I said, when I went to LA and I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. I probably look weird. Like, it's just all those yeah. In uncomfortabilities. Yeah. That was my experience when I went to San Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there is a big Asian American population present in Portland. Yeah. 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 And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I felt yeah. very white then. Yeah, right. No, there's the awareness of how Americanized, right? Or yes. how, right. And the distance from that culture, that whatever culture. Yeah. 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 Um, you you mentioned with your children, you have a an American born, like your daughter. Mm -hmm. Your daughter is Korean American. Mm -hmm. and, then, and I have right. a son who's Korean American okay. and then a son who's, yeah. And how has... Yeah. The adoption of your son and, mm -hmm. like, the two other kids, like, mm -hmm. how's that kind of, mm -hmm. um, with your own background, has that informed how you've raised them mm -hmm. within their cultural connections? Mm -hmm. This is something you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I feel like at, even as we talk about it, I'm like, oh, I, I, you know, well, there's always, like, oh, I could do better, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, um, one thing that I'm, oh, I, I feel aware of is around food, music, like that kind of stuff. And so I feel very aware about those things. Um, but even in, you know, um, cause there, you know, and there, there's a difference between, right. A, like, a uh, an African experience versus like an African American or a black American, you know, American mm -hmm. experience. And so, um, it'll be interesting to see as my son gets older, you know, as my adopted son gets older, um, um, what he will be curious about and what I, you know, I do, I also do try to, um, which is challenging in Portland, but having him around people that look like him. <laughs> right. And so, um, that was a piece for me. I know growing up that I was like, I never saw Korean people that were older than me. You know, I didn't have any mentors or teachers or figures in my life that, that look like me. And so there's almost a denial for me of what I look like. But yeah, no, so mainly right now he's, he's younger. Um, it's been mostly food and music and those sorts of things. And then, yeah, having friends and people, adults in his life that he can look up to and see that look like him. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, I can't think of the word, but like within your church, you, you're like a, a leader in there. How mm -hmm. does your faith kind of played a role in your whole journey? Um, the adoption part. Yeah, and yeah. kind of like where you are now, like, has faith been a big Yeah, element? yeah, for sure. I mean, um, mm, I mean, I think definitely growing up as an adoptee, I heard a lot of, and it can, you know, mm, it, there's two sides of the coin, right? It's sort of like, oh, you're so lucky that you've been adopted. And, and so on a, on a positive or, you know, or like, um, you're so special, you know, God rescued you or, you know, that sort of thing. And it, on one hand, it was like, yeah, like God loves me. He saw me when I was in an abandoned baby and like God took care of me. And there's this divine presence throughout my life that brought me to this place. And, and that can bring a lot of comfort and security and, you know, so on. And then at the same time, it can create this, um, 
like like a false narrative in a sense and maybe from me ignoring um you know, ignoring trauma that was really present by kind of putting a nice bow on it before I ever got to examine it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of a, 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 a posture I've noticed for myself, one thing that I've been aware of is like how obligatory I feel towards a lot of things because shouldn't I be so grateful? And, um, and then end up having this gratitude posture that it's actually not sincere. It's just more like I feel undeserving. Like my worthiness is, there's something about my worth in there that I um, have had to wrestle through. So, but I would say um, I do believe um, in God's presence in my life. I know that my parents adopted out of their faith and, you know, it's complicated. We're not pure, beautiful humans that do altruistic things. And so there's a lot of layers to why they adopted, you know, and, and the implications of that and, and the challenges. But ultimately, I do um, have a sense of God's faithful presence in my life. And, and um, so that on a personal note and on a theological note, um, um, that we are all grafted in, we are all adoptee, adopted into the family of God, to speak. I think that big idea, which I'm not going to unpack right now, but I think that there's a lot that adoptees could say about that that can inform and really bring some beautiful things into that that story, too. So for, for people that are interested in adoption, whether that's domestic or international... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, what would your advice be for them as they start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, the best, the best thing we can do, well, hmm, I have opinions. Okay. So <laughs> I would say, I feel, <laughs> I feel like the best thing is to, the best thing we can do is be as aware as we can be about why we're adopting and not that we are perfect or that, again, right, like, um, just in avoiding sort of like a savior complex or, you know, um, one of the challenges in my relationship with my adoptive parents is that I think they see per- me perpetually as an orphan child, you know, and, and so um, there was a need that I was filling for them. And I think just the awareness of oneself in the process and knowing why and being willing, I think just the posture of always learning of, um, trusting and listening to your kids as they have questions and as they engage and, and to be as truthful and honest and authentic as, as you can be. Um, and, um, I don't know. In my my opinion is that adoption is in in this system in the way that we do this and the way that I was adopted. Like I think it was sold to me as like this was God's plan all along, and I'm like, no, I don't think it was God's plan for me to not be. This was not Plan A. I don't think. Right? I don't think it was God's perfect will that you know in His design of the world that babies would be separated from their birth families. Like, I just don't believe that. Um, and um, to wrestle with the, to be aware of, you know, the 
it must have been, I imagine that, yeah, I imagine that the scenarios for parents, for birth parents to do that means that there's some really, really inequitable, unjust things going on to make that kind of decision. And so um, I think being aware of that and yeah, awareness, awareness, I think is such a big thing. And yeah, the more that, and having, I think having conversations with adoptees is good, especially ones that will be really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of memoir out there now that are by adoptees and kind of sharing their stories really bravely and truthfully. So I don't think there are any excuses. I should say that for for the Western world that's adopting. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's the awareness of the adoptive parents going into this, mm-hmm. and the awareness of the adoptees' background. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that I think that you know, adoption does create beautiful families. I totally believe that, and I am. Um, really grateful for my life and and what my adoptive parents um, gave to me. And I also simultaneously carry a a deep loss, right, and um, grief of not um, having a bond with my birth parents and my birth country and my birth culture. And so... um, I think there are a lot of things that I have done and not done, right, out of that grief. And so just um, as an adoptee, I'm awakening to that later in life after making a lot of decisions. (laughs) Um, And um, yeah, it's just, and and as we were talking before we started recording, you know, every adoptee is on a different time frame. Mm -hmm. And we are all on our own personal journey of discovery and when we feel compelled and we don't feel compelled and when... You know, when we feel really brave and when we feel scared. And so I think just knowing, I think maybe adoptive parents knowing that they're in for a lifelong journey of that. And, um, you know, because I hear some kids are, you know, at eight eight or nine years old having some major epic questions and, right? Yes. And then other people like me are waiting until their 40s, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all over the place. Um, you may have already answer this one but in your own opinion Mm -hmm. should adoptive parents help maintain their adoptive children's connection to their culture and country and how would that look like yeah what would that look like yeah I mean I think yes absolutely and I I know you know I, I haven't I'm not doing it perfectly I'm not an expert by any means on how to but but as an adoptee I look back and think I've often thought, okay, when I came into my family, we became a Korean-American family, truly. But there was nothing that you would have known based on right our food or cultural practices that would have said that at all. Mm-hmm. And I wish that there were some things that I could have pointed to, like even if it would have been like, you know, we started having kimchi at, at like many meals or do you know what I mean? Or like every Friday we, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. There was some sort of practice or some sort of cult even or other, I mean, just the food alone. But um, not to mention other, other ways. But um, I think, you know, when I think about my family, it is a multicultural family. So, um, yeah, it gives me pause and things that even now as I sit here, I'm like, yeah, there, there are more things that we could do to demonstrate being a multicultural family. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think tying in and then as you know, at the same time, you know, there are times when I know as a kid, I, I just wanted to fit in. 
I didn't want to have anything that was distinctly Korean. You know what I mean? Um, so it is the journey. It is, I think there needs to be adaptability and flexibility and a lot of listening. Uh, and, and even when I think about friends that I have who have uh, adopted children, like teenagers, right? And they're like, they really just want to fit in. They don't actually want to. But then some of them that are like 19, 20, they're like, wait a minute, this is part of my identity. I want to engage in my cultural identity a little more deeply and more, you know. So I think there's a, yeah. You're, you're in, I guess, to all that to say that as adoptive parents, we're in for way more than we probably imagine at the beginning mm-hmm. of the journey. There's yeah. a, an intentionality of um, starting out early, but also following. It would be like, would you say, yeah. like following yeah, the kids? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. 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 I think there's following that, but then I think there's also a responsibility because like as kids, we don't always know what's best for us either, right? So I think that there is a sense, a sense of responsibility as a parent to be like, no, this would be, I want you. I wish my parents would have, we were talking about languages. I wish that I would have learned more Korean. I wish I knew some more now than I do. I wish I wasn't like stumbling over, you know, or looking at strange markings and being like, that's, uh, what is that? You know, um, I wish I would have been introduced to that. I still remember some Finnish things much more than Korean things, right? Mm-hmm. Just to say how how much those things can stick with us if started early. Mm. Well, I think we've come to the end, unless there's anything else that you Mm-mm. want to talk about. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Conversations on Cultural Connections Within International Adoption. With me, Anara, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you tune in to my next episode. Thank you. Where should I go?